How's it going, guys? Welcome to the podcast. This edition of the Kellen Alex Show was recorded live in person at San Diego, California in July of 2020 with special guest John Selly. We had a great time. Uh, we talked about the virtual church that we've set up with these live stream masses. What is it saying to the faithful? Uh, is it saying to them, you really need the sacraments, you really need grace, or can you just merely sit at home? We talk about the bishops and the USCCB and their response or maybe lack of response to the coronavirus. We talk about how do we cause renewal in the church? Is this a bottom-up approach or is a top-down, we need a pope who's going to lead the way? We talk about this uh, perhaps siphoning of Orthodox Catholics into kind of a traditionalist camp and what that means. Also, talk about the modern church and media and tools for the new evangelization. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this edition of The Kellen and Alex Show. So to get right into it, um, we... I'm going to start with this quote from uh, a priest that we both know. He said, um, in this situation with sacraments being stopped and shut down, um, he said, I feel like an officer in an army where the generals are fighting for the other side. Yeah, quite the quote. Quite the quote just to come out at us. And um, But it puts it in a really difficult perspective for, I mean, think about these priests who have to comply with state orders, they have to comply with what the bishop says. Exactly. Yeah. And the bishops don't want to challenge state orders. It doesn't seem like they have any interest in trying to, you know, say, hey, we want to have mass. Hey, we want to have sacraments. Yeah. Why do you think the bishops are just so compliant? And and they at least our bishop. Now your bishop's a lot better in Spokane. But. I mean, we still had masses suspended, but yeah, I mean, I couldn't tell you, honestly, because I think the other night we talked about this. What would the United States government do? If the bishops, the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops were to say, look, we understand this is a risk. We're not going to put our elderly at any unnecessary risk. We're going to take common sense precautions. But look, the sacraments are important. We believe they're efficacious. We believe that grace is necessary. So we're going to still do our sacraments. We're still going to hold the mass. We're going to do, we'll have precautionary measures, but we'll, bottom line, we're still administering the sacraments. What would happen? What could happen? Right. If they all stood up together as unified. Yeah. Now, do you think part of it is they have so many elderly priests and they already are thinking, you know, because there's a lot of it's kind of liability stuff. Like you don't want to be the the bishop who said, we're going to continue to have killed half of your And you killed half your priest, right? So do you think that's probably what I mean, a lot of the bishops are also elderly. Yeah, I was gonna say are also elderly, and that probably factors in, but you'd think there could be like some compromise with some of the younger priests, you know, just to offer something because you heard right when the shutdowns were starting and I think it was in Colorado, right? Where they were holding parking lot masses. Yeah. And they had drive through confessional, which, you know, in that diocese, at least you see them going, making a effort to make sure they could still get the sacraments to their flock. Right. And you get places like California, Washington, or not to like call out those bishops too much. It's probably not the nicest thing to do, but where they're just full sorry we're not doing them for totally several closed. months yeah and I, while it was happening i was just thinking why can't we be like colorado why can't we be working hard to make sure there's something get the it won't be as preferable as if it were open but get the younger priests out there you know getting the sacraments out right do you think they also thought you know because we didn't have all the information regarding the disease mm. so i'm i'm being as sympathetic as i can towards oh, yeah. them but we didn't have all the information, and they were thinking this is something so unprecedented. And you know, the information we were getting out of China and, and well, the 
kind of information, but the information out of Italy, you know, when Italy was just in the the, the throes of just, it, it seemed like this disease was just going to wipe out tons and tons of people. And we had to just give up, you know, mass for the time being, accept the sacrifice, right? That was like the first three weeks of not having mass. Yeah, and, and I was um, sympathetic to it. Right? You know, and, and it didn't, I mean, from personal perspective here in San Diego and, you know, even people in New York or whatever, it didn't seem like the world was ending when you talk to people. You didn't like know somebody personally who had like just died from the disease and everyone knew, you know, um, once, you know, it just continued this idea that this was going to be the end of the world disease. And now we know it's definitely not. And, it, and you know, it has a far lesser death rate, but it seems like there's still no, no movement to, uh, open up again at all i mean at the very least we went to an outdoor mass yesterday right so california i think is closing back down is that correct yeah so they closed down indoor masses again but masses are still going on at least so that's good right yeah but it seems like we're doing outdoor now and it's like why couldn't we do that you know back during the easter season oh yeah especially during easter sunday mass which is you know the high feast of the church like i was saying the other day i don't remember what i did on easter this year i assume i streamed a mass but i don't remember it was just another day but uh, that might not be fair but i honestly it seemed like another day yeah a little bit i at least wasn't special enough for me to remember it's not like the last couple years where we did the midnight mass or the vigil mass hmm. at the field house and i remember those so let's talk practically like what could they have done let's say if they if they if they said okay we're gonna have shutdown Right. Because the government was saying you can't have indoor mass, you know, you need to socially distance and all this stuff. What could they have done in that three week span to give the sacraments to the faithful, barring like having a full indoor church mass, which they po- possibly could have done? But um, what could they have done? While they gave an exemption of the obligation to everyone, I would have instead given it to elderly and people who work with elderly or people who live with elderly. But if you were not at risk or did not come in contact with people at risk, still offer masses. We could do in that period. I think we could have done outdoor, cut the music or whatever. Try to comply with federal or state whatever regulations, right? But still hold them because they also had regulations. I mean, they they classified. I think there was some some court that classified churches on and the same as like concert venues or something oh. like that. So you couldn't even have an outdoor something. But I mean. It, now no, we're doing and I outdoor. was going to bring that up. That's fair because that's probably was, what they were. When it first really got going, they were like no gatherings of six unrelated people or more or whatever in in any regard, yeah. indoor, outdoor, whatever you're doing. Yeah, that was what they were saying originally. Um, yeah, it, which is where the parking lot mass is different because everyone's in their cars a couple spaces apart. But but it could have been. I I wonder how much like common sense was kind of lost in all of this. That have we ever in humanity ever seen a disease that you know, you can't have people congregating outside and be distant and whatever, and it would still spread. Like, have we seen a disease like that in in history? I mean, disease, you have to be close enough to have contact. It has to be on a surface. You have to like, be able to breathe in your spittle to get a respiratory disease. Yeah, so you got a mask. You're socially distant. I mean, we could have had outdoor Easter Sunday mass, right? And, and most of the U.S. didn't have Easter Sunday mass. And I think that's one of the... We're going to look back on this. Like, for me, Easter... You know, President the, Trump was talking about it that Easter was going to be a day we're going to you know reopen and stuff, and it never it. he got slammed for it. He's you know insensitive. This all all this type of stuff. Um, you uh, know, I think a lot of people were thinking Trump was going to 
was going to do it. It was going to open after two weeks, open after three weeks. And we're what, you know, three months in or something like that. Still hasn't. Um, yeah. So now we're doing outdoor mass and now we're thinking like, why didn't we just try and do that on Easter? At least my opinion on it. Yeah. I think we hit on it a little bit as the uncertainty and the sort of panic for lack of a better term when those was all first hitting. We just didn't know what to do yet. So we shut down to figure it out. But looking back, it definitely seems possible that we should have done outdoor. And even when it was happening and I saw the stuff about like Colorado, hmm. you think, why are, why isn't my diocese doing that? Because as Catholics, we believe in grace. We believe this stuff is actually important and it works. It's the most important thing. Right. Why is this what we're shutting down? Why are we, you know? So what do you think we're saying to the faithful about the sacraments in all of this? I think it's definitely concerning because I'm not going to come out outright and say this says that we don't believe in the sacraments and they're not efficacious or whatever. But, I mean, one thing I've been thinking of is it would never happen, but it seems like it's just so different for Catholics, you know? For a Protestant church, it's definitely not preferable for them to have their services shut down, but it's not as big a deal for a lot of these Protestant denominations because they, a lot of them don't believe in the sacraments like we do, you know, barring like Lutheranism where they have something similar with right. the Eucharist and whatever. But for how important, I mean, the Eucharist is called the source and summit of the Christian life. For how important this is for Catholics, it's, I don't know what to say. And we just said, we're not going to have Mass on Easter. You're not going to be able to receive the Eucharist on Easter. Um, and, it think about how many like receive. An, and it seems like more of an effort could have been made to try to get some compromise worked out. Yeah. Or even like come, you know, to... You we'll have a even, distribution I, I, service. We'll have a distribution service. Yeah. Let's say you, you have a live stream Mass. You do times... Yeah, times a lot. Let's say you have 10 cars show up. Yeah. You know, and you, you go from this this time to this time to this time. Um, there's just... It, it was... You know, it, it seemed like an occasion for creativity on the part of priests and pastors mm -hmm. and churches. And I think, you know, like Black Plague stuff, people go back to that. And, um, you know, the priest being very heroic. You don't even have to be heroic. You just be creative. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't see where it, this isn't just saying you should all just go around, do, you know, continue the sign of peace, but you kiss on the lips and, you know, you're all right jam packed <laughs> yeah. next to each other. You don't have to do that. No, to that's be what heroic. I was saying. Common sense. We can still. It could be common sense heroic, you know. <laughs> avoid unnecessary killing of people, but still come up with something. Right. And it seemed like the elderly priest, you know, um, and elderly bishops, maybe out of concern for themselves, maybe out of concern for not upsetting the state government. Yeah, and I have no idea what sort of external pressures were there. I haven't. Yeah, you got to think what turn. Yeah, I mean, you had uh, all businesses too. A lot of them wanted to be, you know, reopened and, and all sorts of stuff. So it's the difficulty. And this is one thing, you know, we, we've both been talking about Franciscan reopening. And the I've talked to this with Kellen, the difficulty of administrators feeling as though they'd be personally responsible if someone died of coronavirus yeah. if they reopened. And I think we, we we can't neglect the fact that the bishop, if he did reopen, said mm -hmm. you can come to mass. Um, then he loses a priest. He loses some. He loses a priest. Little he loses old some parishioners. Ladies, he loses, yeah. you know. And then he could end up having lawsuits because he broke California law. He could end up, you know, with a whole uh, world of hurt um, for standing up at this particular time, mm -hmm. which once again goes back to that creativity and that cleverness. Yeah. But it's a battle, and it doesn't seem like those the, the bishops wanted to fight that battle for the sacraments. Which which also shows to the faithful, 
the sacraments really aren't as worthwhile as you think. At least in my opinion, I don't know. Any more thoughts on that part of it? Um, it just didn't seem like there's the fight, the the fight, but the fight and the creativity. This is like the two the two parts of it. He's taking into regard how important this should be. Yeah, this isn't something you want to just drop. It's something we believe is important. And then we've basically turned into a a live stream service. Uh, let's talk a little bit about um, the mass obligation. So you said that it should still be in effect for those people who aren't elderly or sick, or you think it, it, it should? I think I phrased it less to the negative there. I said, or less to the other side. I said it should be lifted for at risk and people who work or live without risk. Okay. Um, with how concerned people were, maybe, I don't know. You could do something like you lift the obligation for everyone, but encourage those who are healthy to come still and say we offer them. That might be more like realistic for what could have happened. Mm-hmm. With just how concerned everyone was about getting sick, especially early on. Because we're at about, what, 20 to 30%? I mean, who doesn't pre-COVID? have a grandparent? <laughs> right, right. We're at like 20 to 30% attendance of pre, you know, pre-COVID levels at masses. Oh, yeah. is, is, I think that's what we're seeing across the board, um, or even less sometimes. Now, what do you think permanently this is going to have on, let's say, mass attendance moving forward? Let's say we get a vaccine January 2021. We're going to start the year off right and people are getting vaccinated. Well, that's a whole other discussion. I'm not getting the vaccine, but uh, <laughs> you guys can quote me on air. If I do, I don't know what I'm going to think of future Alex. Uh, but let's say vaccine comes, COVID's not even a concern. How many people are going to come back to mass? I couldn't tell you. Future's uncertain, and I haven't looked at the like current statistics to try to get an accurate prediction. But I think worst case scenario is some people say, "Hey, I kind of like this not waking up early and going and you know, it kind of works for me just to stream it if I feel like it and do my prayers, or whatever." Right. So the concern is that people who weren't as devoted in the first place will just drop out totally. And you said, what was it? 20 to 30% yeah, attendance of, right of now? Yeah, of capacity. Yeah. Of what it was. Of what it was. Mm. Which, I mean, it's hard to read because that can also include elderly who just say, I'm not going to take the risk, but are still devoted or whatever. Mm, right. But, yeah. I think there's definitely a concern. Are they just... I wonder how many like live stream masses are going to continue in perpetuity because of this. You know what I mean? Like your local parish will just... Who didn't have a live stream mass before will just always have a live stream yeah. mass. There, I wonder uh, what that's going to do because you've talked about the virtual church before that we've, you know, we we have this whole virtual church now and like how long is the virtual will will we see a virtual church going concurrent with the sacramental church and will there be you know a contingent of Catholics who are just completely virtual, meaning just like a Protestant service you know for years you have um, people who used to go to this particular Protestant church or whatever and then they're just like well I can just live stream you know watch this Protestant service on TV on Sunday mornings. Like, have we created that to a large extent for for Catholics now? I hope not. <laughs> I mean, it seems like it, right? I mean, there was already a little bit of something with like shut in elderly who would like watch mm-hmm. EWTN masses and then their local right. parish priest would bring them the sacraments or whatever, which is understandable. I would hope that doesn't happen to people who aren't in extreme situations. Uh-oh. But I mean, it surely might, especially if you think so. I mean, if we've been saying, well, let's, let's take this back to Eucharistic theology, right? So we do know from the Pew Research study from last year, 2019, that, you know, very, that, what, what is it? Two thirds of uh, Catholics don't actually believe in the real presence oh, in the United States. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we go back to that statistic a bunch, but 
if you're saying it doesn't really, really matter, if it's not really, really Christ, then why do you need to be in person to receive the sacrament? Reminds me of the Flannery O'Connor quote, if the Eucharist is a symbol to hell with it. Right. Maybe not that extreme, but Mm. if you think it's just like a feel-good thing or like, it's good to do, but you don't, I why? It's more like the Eucharist isn't real to to live stream with it. That's kind of, (laughs) that's how it's moved, it seems. Because uh, then the mass, then you you can you know you, maybe you'll get some really nice Bluetooth speakers, you know you'll get some candles lit in your house, you'll uh, you'll be ready to pray, you'll sit on your couch, you'll live stream the mass from your local parish, and then at the Eucharist time you just say a nice prayer. Like if the Eucharist isn't real and the mass, you don't really need to be fully there to participate, and it's a lot easier just to be at home. Why? What would be the impetus to actually show up? anymore you, you like the community you like whatever else. i think this goes back to what i've been saying for a while now where it all goes back to education we need a better educated laity with good religious formation so they actually understand what's at least to a like good enough level what's going on at the mass at least recognize that what the church teaches about transubstantiation about the real presence recognize the necessity for grace and this is how God has decided to give grace to us. So they will actually go to Mass and recognize Newman's thing of justice due to God. Recognize that this is a loving relationship between you and God, and a good relationship isn't one-sided. You need to give. He's giving and is willing to give and is set up to give to you. You need to give to God as well. You know, We need the Catholic people to understand and know this. Where does that religious education, like where does that take place? Who, who's involved and... In- how does it get so, to the point where you know we they believe in the sacraments and they believe in the effica- efficaciousness of grace, right? Mm-hmm. Like who's responsible and who went wrong, I guess. So, oh, what's the encyclical's name? I haven't read the whole thing as another caveat here, but honestly, the Catholic teaching has been that education falls first and foremost to the parents, right? It's the parents' job to raise the child, make sure that they can be productive, good Christian adult raised into adulthood, right? Hmm. Now, I can't remember. It might have been Pius XI. That dude wrote so many encyclicals. But I can't remember which one it was off the top of my head. A lot of them wrote a lot. Also recognized that while first and foremost goes to the parents, the church has a stake in the education and the state has a stake in education as well. So primarily it falls upon the parents and also the church wants to be there to make sure that religious education is going on and whatnot and that the church can continue or whatever. And the state has a very similar stake where the state wants to make sure that they're good productive citizens at who know, you know, what their duties are and whatever, whatever other stake the state might want to have in it. So all three of those need to work together to make sure that the like theoretical child gets a good education. So primarily the parents with the aid of the church in the state would be the ideal. So let's take the situation we're in now where, let's say a majority of Catholic parents don't even know what the church teaches. So you have the primary educators are pretty bad educators, yeah. if at all educators, because most of the time they won't even talk about the faith of their children. They have no interest to talk about it. So what do you do in a situation where the primary educators so, have no ability to? And if we're talking about religious education, the proclamation of the gospel and the role of teacher falls to the church. It's called magisterium. It's mm-hmm. one of its things. You know, It's the teacher. Right. That carries down the faith in public. So it's the church's job 
to preach the gospel and make sure it's getting out. So I think that would fall on, you know, the bishops, the priests, you know, the church, the. So how would they go about, let's say, taking a, and in a large way, taking a, you know, the the generation of the parents at this point who have, you know, perhaps not been taught the faith really at all, or when they were taught the faith, they were taught by another priest back in the day who taught more of symbols and lovey-dovey stuff and never told them the, the dogmas of the faith or anything like that. How do you take them from basically either nothing or wrong to how do you take parents as a priest who's preaching? Like, do you start classes? Do you just every you know Sunday, do you do a catechism Sunday with parents? Like, how do you get parents to think, oh, I actually need to be educated on this type of stuff? Assuming they're actually attending mass yeah. at this point in time, right? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, we're we're at a point where they're you know not even attending mass, but um, yeah, let's I, say they are. Yeah, I haven't thought of like any specific program or practically this is exactly what we should implement right now in the United States. But a more outspoken clergy that will actually fearlessly proclaim the truth and say, "Look, this is what the church believes, and you need to believe it." And, and uh, you know, push maybe push for programs like good adult catechetical classes or good Bible studies or whatever or you know, this is our walkthrough of the catechism or whatever. Maybe something like that would be good. And, you know, just to more, to more fearlessly proclaim the faith or, you know, proclaim the faith at all. Right. How do you get people interested? <laughs> you know, that's, <laughs> that's the biggest question. thing for me. How do you, how do you get people adults guitar interested in, what's that? <laughs> guitar masses. Guitar masses, donuts <laughs> after mass. I mean, there's, once again, it's one of those creativity things. Yeah. Like, there's so much, this is the thing that people think the church is so boring or whatever else. Like, there's a lot of creativity involved in trying to deal yeah. with your particular people and where I you are. Honestly and I honestly couldn't tell you exactly what way to go about it because I have the problem where if I am at the point in my life where I think that this stuff is actually really important. So just personally, I'm like, oh yeah, of course this is important. Of course people will be interested in the truth and what to do with your life and what your ultimate purpose is. But if people aren't, I don't know. Right. Maybe whiskey nights. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's that'd get me. Grab interested. them with booze. Yeah, no, seriously, whiskey I mean, nights for uh for for the men to teach them catechism stuff. You know, uh, I think that'd be I think it'd be fantastic. Um, yeah, wine nights for the women. I don't know. There's, and then who's gonna like? Is the okay? Let's take another step. Okay, is the priest educated enough to really communicate the truths of the faith? What was his seminary formation? Because mm-hmm. I mean, you have a lot of seminaries where, and and you know, the divide between the very leftist liberal Catholics, which are, you know, on the trajectory out of the church. And then even on the conservative side, maybe it's not everything's put together. They're not as organized or whatever else. Like for the priest, you know, how do we, if he's going to be the one who's going to educate the parents who are, you know, seemingly don't know the faith because they're two thirds of them don't even believe in the, the real presence. Like, how do you reform, uh, you know, if if the priest's the one who has to educate the parents and the ed- educate the parents educate the children, so you need to reform it. Uh, you know, how do you get the priest interested in wanting to even yeah. teach the the I, the, the I parents? I think what we're like crawling our way towards is a sort of top down reformation or you know reinvigoration or whatever you want to call it. Of, in a top down way, or that's what it seems to be getting at. Okay, make sure we have reforms in the seminaries. Nicholas to make sure Larkins is doing. cringing at this point. In <laughs> I time. mean, what else are we gonna do? <laughs> that's true. Yeah. I mean. I, I, to- I was saying earlier that actual reform historically seems to come from the laity, mm. what, but that puts pressure on the actual hierarchy. But, you know, every step, 
every step. Every step all at once. Just fix it all right now. Fix it all right now. That's what we're That's looking what for. what I want. Well, I no, yeah. let's let's take it to task. So yeah. Nick, one of our good friends, he thinks it's certainly a bottom-up approach to get everything back on track. No, and I never said that's not how it could start. But I'm saying everything top-down needs... What, like, because who's going to... The lady's not going to change the seminary. They don't have any control over the seminary. Mm, right. They can put pressure on the bishops to have reforms within whatever and think maybe that would work. So let's but, talk a positive laity, let's say, program. Take, for instance, like the St. Paul Center at Franciscan, yeah. Dr. Hahn's passion project. And I never said that, or maybe I might have implied that it starts at the top and goes down, mm. but basically more, it wasn't that. It was just that top down we need to fix the education. Right. Yeah. So let's talk like St. Paul Center. And Dr. Hans told this to me before that lay theologians shouldn't really exist. Yeah, they only really that. exist because priests aren't really, they're not, they're, the lay theologians are picking up the slack. There's a lot of slack in teaching the faithful. And you look at the work that Dr. Hans done and the St. Paul Center's done. I mean, it's immense what they've done for, for Catholic America in, in educating them in the faith. You also have, you know, the rise of excellent Catholic podcasts, this one included. Oh, yeah. Um, that are, you know, leading the charge to try and re-educate. And we're, we're both a lady. I don't see any any clerics on either of us. We're both kind of stupid, though, so that doesn't... Oh, that, that does, yeah. We, that, we haven't know, finished our education we haven't, yet. You know, we're, we're still on the... <laughs> wait a second, what are you talking about? Wait, this is the best, the highest you're ever going to get. No. <laughs> both doctors, uh, multiple times. <laughs> both doctors, multiple times, exactly. Um, but you're seeing a big rise of... The work that they're doing, the St. Paul Center, these other ones, you get this weird feeling that... It's like the hierarchs are actively working against any good that these lay theologians and anything else are doing. And you wonder if there's kind of these two converging. Uh, you have this, the hierarchs seem to be doing social programs. And I mean, we had, what was this? Last year, um, over a third of the bishops of the USCCB said abortion is not a preeminent issue in the church today. To Like to fight, you know. Uh, and, and you're like, okay, how do I take that? And you take all the bishops and the priests and they're shutting down mass and whatever. And then you have these lay theologians who are preaching, you know, really heavy stuff from scripture, from whatever else. And they're, they're sending out CDs and projects and whatever. It seems like there's converging interest of lay theologians like, Hey, the church should actually live up to it. And the bishops and everyone else are like, Hey, let's make the church a big social work charity project. And which I'll put it to you. Which side prevails in that type of dynamic? Does do the lay theologians end up galvanizing the laity enough to really make substantial change, or is the efforts of let's say a, a systematic, let's make the church a social work charity project, because they have all the administrative control and power? Does that yeah. win the day? Does the top beat the bottom when the bottom's trying to rise up? I suppose. I mean, my inclination is to say for the moment the top would just because they have the authority. Right now, but I was just thinking, obviously, this whole thing is me mostly just whining about problems I see in the church, and I have no big solutions other than vague. We need to actually know and preach the faith. Like, duh, how does that happen? I haven't said anything useful here. <laughs> but just uh, thinking about it, the priests come from the lady, ultimately. I mean, if the lay Catholics are striving for orthodoxy and striving to live the faith correctly, that could have an effect down the road, because then... The young men who become priests, if they come from there, could eventually create a change. And then for the now, we can make it clear that we want orthodoxy, and maybe that could pressure somehow. But 
So for those who make it clear they want orthodoxy, a lot of them tend towards traditionalism. I don't it even seems think necess- like maybe I don't think that's even necessary though. Maybe is that is that a hasty, you know, deduction that they tend towards traditionalism because it seems like there's a push, let's say from the established hierarchs that, "Oh, you want all this orthodoxy stuff? Why don't you go into this kind of small group we call traditionalists and we're going to keep them to the side?" Does it seem like there's a, let's say a pressure from the lady that Oh, everything's messed up. Vatican II, Novus Ordo, everything's screwed. So I let's mean, go hard, you know, I hard think, rad trad. I think, especially for Throne Vatican II, and they're that tent, they're, the stereotype is, is at least that that's traditionalism. But uh, I think there's a place for a oh, place that sounds so condescending. Uh, I think there are, <laughs> you know, Novus Ordo, good Orthodox Catholics who are who are interested in social justice and all that. That's definitely part of Christianity. Let's not disparage it. I would go with you to say that we might be, the emphasis has shifted too much away from eternal salvation and towards temporal things, but that's not to say that they're bad. It's not to say that care for our brothers and for the environment stuff are bad. So uh, there are post-Vatican II good Orthodox Catholics as well. So I would be hesitant to clump them all, people who are striving for Orthodoxy, into traditionalism. No, I agree. Um, but I'm wondering, like, if let's say there's a there's a movement within to take those people who are striving for the orthodoxy and the righteousness and stuff to take very traditional um, ideological positions, like we should reject Vatican II or the Novus Ordo is inferior to um, you know the traditional Latin Mass or Guitar mass is definitely wrong. And then you lump everything you see wrong with the church to either liturgical things or systematic things. And then you end up in a camp, an ideological camp called traditionalism. And then you have people like, you know, um, Bishop Aaron, who I love and support, but he he tends to be very dismissive of traditionalism and very dismissive of traditionalist camp. And let's say if you're, you know, if you're not um I don't know. Is there a tendency, let's say, in American Catholicism to the more you try and pursue orthodoxy, the more you're being pushed kind of to a traditionalist side because the bishops are actively working against you? Or is that too hasty, I I suppose, a deduction? So basically what you're asking is within the laity who are striving for orthodoxy, is there a tendency for them to sort of go toward... To go towards like an ideological extreme because they don't see any solution working with bishops who are you know, actively working against them in some ways. So are you saying like, sort of like, well, this isn't working, so I'm going to just go find the group that is doing it right and just sort of be in that corner? Yeah, be in that kind of ideological yeah. extreme, uh, you know. I, I couldn't say. I haven't thought or, you know, done a lot okay. on that. Because I've, I've, you know, in, in a lot of, and I think Pope Francis even talked about it, this this uh, movement towards, um, you know, in different Catholic writers have written about it, this movement towards more traditionalist oh, I, ideological positions among heard, Orthodox partic- young Catholics. Uh, yeah, that's what I was going to say. Right. I, have, I mean, we've seen it at Francisco. I've heard lots places. of people talk about a young traditionalist movement and just being around young Orthodox people, a lot of them seem to skew that direction. But that being said, they're also good Orthodox people who like the Novus Ordo Mass or regularly attend the Novus Ordo Mass. So, so if you take people who, let's say in the, the public sphere, like Bishop Barron, maybe uh, Dr. Hahn, and, and now these people are very, you know, and uh, there's a, a wide variance of opinion, but you couldn't just lump them into the, you know, the traditionalist kind of more ideological positions. But 
for the good that they're doing and the lady are seeing, okay, they're, they're doing good within their particular sphere. You know, Bishop Aaron's been, he's massively successful and he's done his word on fire stuff and Dr. Han as well. And, but when the lady keep being so frustrated with their own Bishop and with the USCCB, you know, and, and with, uh, their local parish that's really not and, and they see all these things and they're frustrated with it and then they look to these people who really are are trying to do the best with the modern world and, and with the modern church that they can and but when they become so frustrated they say there's no change happening here so i need to reject more of what's there and it, what i'm saying is there's like a a, uh, a siphoning of things into a traditionalist because we've seen church militant people like taylor marshall and whatever have very growing wide audiences, Latin masses are are increasing and stuff. Are we seeing um let's see the the efforts of the laity being for for those bishops who are, you know, against uh who are trying to make it just a social work stuff. They're like, let's just try and lump them into one group so we can all deal with them. Possibly I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. This is just my theory yeah, on it. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. <laughs> Well, because I hopped in more traditionalist camp for for quite a while, I was I was in it, but I I became kind of disillusioned with the more ideological propositions of the whole thing. Right? It's Vatican II is all wrong. Yeah, this is all wrong. Nova Sword is all wrong, and um, it's uh like like you said, it's it's just a frustrating time when you have hierarchs who seem to be like like our our. Our dear priest friend who said, "I feel like an officer in an army where the generals are fighting for the enemy." No, and that's where a lot of the difficulty, like the church, they have the power, and we are to be obedient to them. There are spiritual fathers, so what do you do? Right, it's a difficult situation. Have you read some of um, Ignatius of Antioch's letters, like his his letters to Rome, his letter to the Smyrnans before he was going to to Rome to be? I have martyred. I have not, but I've heard about him where he corresponded and talked a lot about the role of the bishop and stuff like that. Yeah, he he said like obey the bishop as you would obey God the Father. Yeah, and um, you know every and and it's very very strongly like you live and die by the bishop, and I think you know that's that's good theology. I mean, we can't have the sacraments without the bishops. Mm. And they're the ones to whom, you know, the succession of the apostles is, is entrusted. And, um, you know, we have to pray for our bishops and stuff. But it's it's difficult because you think, so take Archbishop Vigano, right? And you know Vigano. Former Nuncio. Former Nuncio to the United yeah. States. And I don't know how much our listeners know about Archbishop Vigano. His story is very interesting. Um, he revealed a lot of stuff about Cardinal McCarrick um, back in the day in the United States. He was the uh, Nuncio to the United States. and um, Benedict knew that uh, McCarrick was, uh, or, or sorry, it was reported that McCarrick had some uh, homosexual predation uh, cases, you know, against him. That there was seminarians who alleged that he, you know, um, would make moves on them and all type all types of stuff. So, uh, Vigano reports this to Pope Benedict. Pope Benedict puts puts sanctions on McCarrick, and McCarrick doesn't really obey them. When Francis comes in, the sanctions were lifted. And Francis knew about what was going on, and uh, Vigano revealed his conversations with Francis and what was going on. Wrote a huge letter, called on Pope Francis to resign, and then fled to who knows where. And he's still in hiding because of that. And he's been publishing tons of work. He he, he talks about the uh, the homosexual mafia in the church, and he also talks about um, just where everything's going. Um, but you have a bishop like him who seems to try and do a top to top, head to head. And there really isn't 
any other bishops who are willing to stand up and say, I'm allied with that. You know, I'm allied in, in taking down the, the structural corruption. And if there's not bishops who are willing to fight it, like, is there anyone who has authority who can fight it, you know, on that type of level? Like, who else but the bishops could, could let's say, make that structural top, top, you know, that top change? Do you think there's anyone else but the bishops who can do that? I don't know. I mean, unless we got a pope who really wanted to, you know, change do the up. hard work and clean house with all what, whatever sort of corruption it is within the Vatican. I don't know. So do you think Benedict thought he was going to have a successor who could do that? I, the, 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 the narrative is that Benedict saw there was a ton of corruption and thought, I can't handle this. Do you think he thought his successor was going to be able to, to do something like that? I haven't read anything on that or anything. I don't know what the Pope's reasons were for resigning, really. Right. Yeah. <laughs> now, I wonder, now, going back to like who can fight the corruption at the bishop level, um, you know, people have been talking about new generation of priests, uh, younger we, priests. We've talked about new spiritual, lay spiritual movement or lay generated spiritual movements like the Franciscans were or whatever. Right. To sort of a renewal movement. So, yes, that as well. But I'm wondering, like, even at your diocese, uh, diocesan level, like the priests who come through, uh, you know, people have talked about the younger priests seem to be more on fire, seem to have like bigger faith and stuff. Um, and are preaching out. I, I know a number of young priests who are really, you know, strong. And do you think it's possible we see some of them become bishops later, and you know they start taking these these big changes, or do you think there's such a that the only people who are going to get appointed bishops are those who are propping up the previous corruption? I mean, not every bishop even today is terrible. No, yeah, yeah that's true. I mean, no, not all of them, obviously, right? So yeah, maybe that's the hope. You just wait another generation or two. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I, I want to go back to shutdowns, though. How are we going to view this 10 years from now in terms of the church? Any, in terms of the church? Yeah, in terms of how the church reacted to this. How does 10 years from now, John, look back and say what we did as a church, laity included, with this type of stuff? Like, what precedent does it set... I hope it sets absolutely no precedent for anything. <laughs> <laughs> I hope everyone just forgets that we <laughs> not didn't forgets have it, but say, let's not do that again. Yeah, no, uh, that has to be the I mean, imagine we have Corona point two and it's some other random Modelo. disease that's what's that? Modelo virus. Modelo virus. Yeah, exactly. We've moved on. We've moved up better Mexican beers. <laughs> Dosaki's virus coming next. <laughs> yeah, Do Dosaki's uh that's gonna be the progression. It's gonna go Corona and then Modelo and then Dos Equis, and then that's the end of the world. I think that's once Mexican beers have brought us to the the edge of humanity. Um all right, John. Was Corona a planned release? Tell me. I'm not allowed. I am not at liberty to divulge <laughs> that no information at this time. If it was planned release, this is just the oh, I mean, we we would be living in the greatest conspiracy of all time. Which and I, I mean, that's, that's, it's, you've it's been cool, really into that, but I've seen nothing. So I, I refuse to comment on this. All right. Look, I will it not came be on from China, John. <laughs> all right. It came from China, our worst enemies. They've been actively trying to subvert American economy and get all American businesses on their side releasing for it on years. Their, releasing it on their own people first would not be the right move then. Oh, well, take, uh, I mean, take Operation Northwood. You could say eventually maybe it'll get to the US, but if you kill your entire people, with a virus before it gets... I mean, it just doesn't... 
Well, like, no, yeah. the fact that it could be it, it could that could be the subversion part of it. I mean, like have you, drop have it you on heard someone of, else then? Well, not you commit, let's say, domestic terrorism to cause you know uh, the 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 havoc that it wrecked on the American economy far outstripped what it's going to wreck on the Chinese economy because the Chinese just reopened again because they let, let's say they it was like two or three weeks they had like they would do total quarantines and then reopen and the American economy has been the one that's been most hit off of all of this. So if they were trying to, you know, destroy the American economy, I don't know. See, I'm a big conspiracy yeah. guy. You right, are. John? We're, we're on the we're, opposite we're, ends of that. I, <laughs> yeah. It's like oil and water with me with conspiracies. I, I don't like them conceptually and you're all into them. But, I'm all, I'm all in. Yeah. I'm all in. If this is, I mean, and here's the other thing with this, and I've talked to Colin about this, like, we would never know. I no, mean, and that's my thing is with like so many conspiracy theories, it's like, well, you're theorizing of what is possible to happen but we just don't have the evidence for me to be comfortable saying positive making any positive proclamations i see it kind of like um i i was doing a, a podcast the other day on miracles and being open to the possibility yeah. of miracles maybe we talk about this a little bit that um it's dostoevsky's notion about realism and miracles that he says miracles are never a stumbling block to the realist. The realist just has miracles as part of possibility. But for somebody who's an atheist or a non-believer, miracles can never be a possibility. So even if you're presented as an irrefutable fact before you that, you know, this must have been miraculous, you would just deny your senses and said, you know, I don't know all the information until later. Right. I think it's the same thing with these type of conspiracies where you're never going to end up having all the information, but things are so uh so coincidental and benefit certain people that that's where you get people who believe it right mm. now there's there's the fringe of these things well, where there's like, like the, flat earth stuff right or like the moon is broadcasting our reality around us and lizard people run everything or whatever that's true all right the zuck, <laughs> the zuck is the lizard king he is he has showed us his true form with the sunscreen if you guys if you guys haven't seen the sunscreen zuck uh you got to look just look up sunscreened zuck on uh, on google You'll have a great time. Thick boy with lots of <laughs> chalky white sunscreen on his face. <laughs> it's a great image. Uh, but yeah, so so that's real, right? Zuck rules the world from his Lizard King palace. Where are they based? They're Silicon Valley, right? They're not Seattle. Not, Facebook, uh, is. Facebook is Silicon Valley based. Yeah. But I think it's the it's a similar thing for... So Dostoevsky was are. describing... Not not Lizard King. Sorry, conspiracies. I'm going back. Yeah, <laughs> we'll yeah. get out of Lizard King. But with... Cons- Weird I'll take it. Way. Conspiracies and miracles, whatever. Um, miracles are in the realm of possibility for believers. So anything, you now you may say, oh, well, there are some natural causes, whatever else, but you can admit that the miraculous can be possible because you admit that God could intervene in human affairs to draw out certain things that he wants to know us, uh, about himself, right? So miracles are within the realm of possibility. I think for a lot of people, if they don't have a, a pure, you know, like an authority telling them that this particular thing happened, and everyone just kind of agrees with it. Therefore, it couldn't happen in a way with regards to conspiracies, right? Mm. So take Operation Northwoods, which I don't know if you're f- familiar I'm with. Not familiar the with The Department that of Defense and the Joint Chief of Staff uh, had a secret plan that they submitted to President John F. Kennedy to commit domestic acts of terrorism with Cuban operatives of the mm. CIA to create domestic terrorism to uh, prop up a war against Cuba. They submitted this to President Kennedy, and he rejected the proposal. But it was a proposal by the Department right. of Defense and Joint Chief of Staff. 
they released this document, I think, in the early 2000s. I mean, many it, people yeah. saw it as being related to 9-11. So the 9-11 truthers got a ton of uh, fuel from the uh, the release of Operation Northwest. I mean, it got was declassified. The, was it the USS Constitution that blew up to start the Mexican-American War? Or which one was it? It would be like causing your own. Yes. It would yeah, be like causing your own ship Because, I mean, because yeah. currently we think that that was probably like a boiler malfunction or something, but it'd be like essentially torpedoing, causing your own event to rile up people. Exactly. Rather than, you know, yellow journalism spinning an explosion as Cuban or whatever. Right. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah. It's, it's, if you spin something against a country, then you can use it, but that's actually committing terrorism against your own yeah, but people. Literally, to cause instead something. of spinning yeah. something, causing the event, blowing up Pearl Harbor yourself or whatever. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? Right. You really wanted to go to war with oh, yeah, Japan. I heard, you, I heard, you blew heard up, of that. You blew up Pearl. So for people, let's say pre Operation Northwoods or whatever, you would never, you know, think that the American government would ever try and commit acts of terrorism on its own people. But after you release that, it's like, oh, that is within well, the realm of possibility. We at least you know? know it was considered by some people at one point. It wasn't just considered. Proposed. It was submitted as a, a legitimate plan to the president from the Department of Defense. <laughs> like, the, the Department of Defense was trying to attack American people <laughs> to justify a war with a different country. Now, if you would have said that in, let's say, the years before Operation Northwoods was released, you would have been right. So let's you would have been right that there was a plan to, to submit it, but for a lot of people, that wouldn't have been with even even within the realm of possibility, but because um, it it hadn't been released by the the government and people didn't know it. Now, same thing with Corona. If you if you think okay, unless I have this government authority telling me that Corona was released by the Chinese government, you know, I couldn't believe it. So this is all a a, a uh, I don't want long witted yeah. long witted uh, way to, of saying at least be open to conspiracies. I'm not saying I want an authority to tell me. I want. I'm saying I want any evidence. I don't care who it comes from as long as it's compelling. I don't need like Trump to lower down on a helicopter, hand me a piece of paper that says, "Yo, they did it." Let's but, talk another one. QAnon. Have you heard of QAnon? It's been. Recently I know the, in the name. News. I know the name. It's been recently in the news because them. Twitter just banned something like three thousand QAnon Twitter accounts. Uh, it's. I don't know exactly. I don't know all the details, but QAnon was a a four chan poster, which should already tell you something, but. <laughs> He uh, he said he had secret uh, secret info from within the White House, within the Trump administration, that uh, Trump had been elected to combat the widespread human trafficking, child sex trafficking uh, rings in the United States and globally. I mean, did this dude provide anything that would make me want to can take him seriously? I would have to go back and look yeah, I mean, into it, but... Because there's all sorts of people on the internet. Well, well you the, see, the anytime that, Nintendo is releasing a Smash Bros. game, you get a bunch of people saying, I totally know who the roster is going to be, and then it's not. So. That's true. But we do know that there is human trafficking around the world. Okay. And, in fact, that the you know United States had a very has, still to this day, a very extensive human trafficking and child sex trafficking uh, in the United States. There's been a lot of organizations uh, trying to expose them. And... Um, and we know that many prominent figures were involved in this, uh, that, you know, Epstein was, uh, Jelaine Maxwell, other billionaires, um, the Clintons probably are. We know that uh, Bill Clinton flew with uh, Epstein like something like 37 times. Epstein had a uh, a painting of Bill Clinton in a dress in his house. Have you seen this? Have you uh, seen the Bill Clinton in a dress? Since you've said it, it brings a bell. <laughs> that's, that's the kind of thing that would trigger a memory. Yeah, no. So, uh, and and here's the thing is Epstein, the reason he got off is he would on his, you know, 
child pedo island or whatever, he would videotape all these major figures, including mm-hmm. Pen- Prince Andrews, including you know p- perhaps the Clintons and whatever else. So QAnon's theory is this child sex trafficking, trafficking, human trafficking involves tons of you know Hollywood elites, celebrity elites, um, billionaires, lots of corporations, all sorts of things around the world, and that uh, Trump was elected to expose that and he knows what's going on but they're waiting for the storm is what they call it where Trump's trying to get all the information he ca- he can all at once to take out these people all at one time. I mean, this is another one where I have no evidence to believe that it's ha- that that would be what's going on and I have no reason to trust this random anonymous dude on 4chan. Very true. And Twitter, okay, let's take another step. Twitter chose to ban all these people. Now, you know, um, maybe conspiracy theorist number one in the world, Alex Jones, what was this, 2017, got banned off of literally everything. Yeah. He got banned off of Apple Podcasts. He got banned off of um, all sorts. You know, maybe we'll get banned off of Apple Podcasts after this. I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm anti it enough to counterbalance you. It's not good. <laughs> right. But um, he got he got deplatformed. We, we're seeing a whole movement of deplatforming people. You know, I, I think if Catholics, if Catholic bishops actually spoke this stuff, I bet they would all get deplatformed. It'd be a can of worms for them to try to open up. Just take the homosexual stuff. I mean, if you if you go against homosexual marriage and you say homosexual acts are wrong, intrinsically wrong, yeah. and you try and have you're a, gonna a get huge some people platform, yelling at you on Twitter, definitely. But if you're yelling enough, at you, yeah. you're gonna have people trying to dox you. You're gonna have you know people trying to destroy your tri- entire career. I mean, we gladly don't have careers at this point, so we no, can say whatever we want. Legitimately, but. though, I've worried that if I ever got big enough and my views on transgenderism or homosexuality were released, it could cause me a lot of problems. No, for sure. Now, now take Taylor Marshall's uh, other his his um, you know podcast partner. Um, what's his name? Oh man, it's going to kill me. He's out here in Cali. Actually, he was a teacher at a Catholic school. Oh yeah. He posted yeah, stuff on this. Twitter against Black Lives Matter. He got fired from his position. Yeah. At a Catholic school. And he was like saying, all lives matter. And he was saying, I don't support these protests. And these protests are insane. Got fired. Mm. Right. We're also seeing more cancel culture stuff, right? The uh, Sacramento Kings announcer had been with them for just literally ages. Got absolutely and, played by Boogie Cousins. Oof. What was, okay, explain more of that to me. Okay. So apparently this guy said, I can't remember the exact quote, but when uh, Cousins was playing for the Sacramento Kings, he, I think this announcer said he was like a storm cloud over the locker room. Or, you know, some negative. He said something negative about Boogie Cousins. And then now, the, when the protests were happening, Cousins, who apparently has a long memory and knew this guy well enough, just like tweeted at him, hey, what are your opinions on Black oh, Lives Matter? No. And he's like, oh, hey, Cousins, I didn't know you remembered me. Uh, all Lives Matter. <laughs> he got played. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, I didn't know that part of it. Yeah, DeMarcus it was from Cousins that guy? played him. Oh, yikes. That's hilarious. What a name, by the way. Boogie Cousins? Well, his real first name is Demarcus. Boogie's oh, okay. his uh, nickname, but yeah, Demarcus Cousins. That's an epic name. No, he he definitely played him. That's where we're... That corporations... We've gotten to this point where corporations are, are totally woke and all this type of stuff and cancel culture. This is... How willing would bishops be to to step into a cancel culture, you know... Who's going to fight? Who's going to okay. do that? It's a little different for them because the worst thing that would happen is they take a huge PR hit and get doxxed or whatever. Because who's going to fire a bishop? The bishop's the bishop. 
Oh, dude. Well, he could. I mean, the Pope. I mean, the Pope. Pope. The yeah. Pope could remove Pope could him. Do all sorts of stuff. The Pope could remove him. He could lose positions he could of power force him to within the USCCB. He could lose, like, if he were on some council that did something. But I think it's maybe a little less of a. Let's talk there, but... the conference. Yeah. Okay, so these bishop conferences, they didn't really come about to be you know these powerful entities until after Vatican II, and the bishop conference became you know something way more important. It just seems like their whole agenda is to make sure they don't have bishops who are going to the fray. And if they do, they make sure they're, you know, outside of the general affairs of the USCCB. At least my my reading of of their their kind of general outlook. Like, do you think they're doing a good thing with a, a Catholic conference of bishops? Should there be a conference? Should like should the bishops be united in this type of way? I don't know. I haven't I think I know I think in your thesis research you really got into this and talked to me a little bit about it, but I'm not I mean, hasn't stopped me so far, but at this point, I'm going to say I'm not educated enough to speak on it. Yeah. I, dude, I'm not educated enough to speak on most things. And yet here we are. And yet here we are. Um, yeah, it, it's a weird... I, 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 I'm, I'm sick of myself saying uh, it's a weird time. But yeah, these conferences seem to have a, a white noise policy that you don't say anything that's going to upset anybody. Because I, And I wonder how much that plays into... Or is a result of cancel culture? I mean, imagine the USCCB said we're having a nationwide Catholic protest for against abortion. Like, why doesn't that happen? Give me answers, John. Give me answers. <laughs> I'm not at liberty at this moment to divulge that information. That's right. Plead the fifth. Um, no. I, I, why doesn't that happen? Okay, let's say the at pu- least the with pu- abortion, research- we are a little more outspoken, but. We are? are uh, more than like gay marriage. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, let's let's like, say we're having. Say if, during Pride Month, if the bishops were to come out and say, look, we, we have to respect the dignity of all people, but we do not support, you know, if they spoke out against gay marriage more openly and loudly. So let's take somebody who's speaking out again, speaking out for gay marriage, James Martin. Uh, you have bishops inviting them him to speak at colleges, and um, he's very outspoken in favor of gay marriage and and uh, accepting of gay people. Um, if you press him on it, he's not going to say that the acts are intrinsically good. No, I haven't heard him ever explicitly. He's never explicitly said that. He's that. never explicitly denied it, but he he does. I also take don't a, read his stuff very often, so I don't know. yeah. Okay, so we're we're seeing a a white noise policy, but also a don't go against now. Let's say you had a a public priest who was fire and brimstone against homosexual acts. Do you think that he would be invited to parishes to speak like James Martin is? Uh, there'd probably be pushback. Just speculating, right? So yeah. if we saw an, an inverse James Martin, we saw a Martin James. You know, <laughs> Father Martin James, he's coming through to uh, tell you why homosexual of, acts yeah. are sinful and are leading us, you know, away from truth. Would there be so the let's say you know the the cancel culture doesn't work in the inverse? Sometimes there are some things that are like James Gunn is not a right wing figure. He's the director from Guardians of the Galaxy and some other films, where he made some gross, tasteless jokes in his past. Like I'm not condoning these; they they were not funny and they were in poor taste. But like what was it like ten years ago or something? And people who didn't like him dug him up and. He got removed from like Guardians of the Galaxy 3 or whatever project he was on. He, he got a job later again, but 
it's not exclusively a left-wing phenomenon. People who want who don't like you will use it to hurt you, I think, r- regardless of political alignment. But there are the kinds of things, like generally stuff like gay marriage or transgenderism are ones that can definitely get you hit. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Transgenderism has been the really weird one of all this because I think it it's so it's I mean it's so obvious that it's just messed up and I think people generally see that even people who are you know woke and leftist or whatever they're just like I don't get the whole transgender stuff they'll 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 be very accepting of the homosexual stuff but do you think we're like do you think Catholics are just entering into the political discussion of the day that, oh, now transgenderism is the next right activist thing. So now we're going to focus on that, but we're going to neglect homosexual stuff and then neglect abortion stuff and neglect contraception stuff. And then just kind of like the conservative side will just focus on that and not any of the other stuff. Do you think it just moves along with what the Republican versus Democrat issue of the, the day is? Just as an aside, Catholics are the only ones who care about contraceptives that I have seen. I think that's I mean, largely do we, though. <laughs> I think no, even within that, yeah, like that one's so. When far was around, the last but, time you heard, you know, a huge public figure giving, you know, ton speeches against contraception beyond the lay people, the lay theologians? I don't know. The lay. I don't know. But back to the question, I wouldn't say that. Um, I, I, what I would say is I haven't seen that it's an exclusive focus on transgenderism because abortion is still a. Like we go to Franciscan, so our vision skew, but that's still like one of the biggest, you know, pushes in Franciscan is to combat that. So I, I haven't seen it be us move totally away from it. But stuff like contraceptives, um, only you know, that's almost a completely lost battle. I think maybe what you're recognizing there or speculating about might be a sort of resignation from our side that. We've lost the contraceptive battle. What are we going to do? Gay marriage, we're pretty much lost that. What are we going to do? Let's try to win the next one. Maybe that's what you're seeing. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, something like that. That's what it seems like. Yeah, let's let's Be- try because and because we're next definitely battle. still against those things. But right, man, the contraceptive issue, and um, that seems to be at least from the lay part of it, like the laity part of reclaiming the culture war, has to be contraception and abortion has to be uh, like reclaiming the family and the lady trying to a bottom-up approach that seems to be where the focus needs to lie seems to be telling catholics to live out marriage properly like in terms of reclaiming catholic culture and catholic identity like do you think that's where the focus has to be primarily bottom up like specifically in the, in the bottom up let's say renewal of the church that we're trying yeah i've danced around it this entire podcast so far because i honestly it's a little bit of a feedback loop the bottom to inform the top the top to actually do the changes how where does it start how do we go about it i'm not sure i think definitely you should push for what you believe in here and pray but i'm i at this point i'd have to do more talking with people you know more thinking on how exactly do we practically approach reforms in the church because the, definitely the lady getting active, you know, doing what they can is a good thing and might affect change, but we also need change within the, from the hierarchy as well, the actual clerics. Right. And the church structure. So I'm, I'm, that's, been, that's been the running theme in this whole podcast is not quite sure how do we approach this difficult situation. It's like, yeah, I mean, the whole house is filled with termites 
and you're like, okay, do I burn it to the ground? Do I take it section by section? You know, do I, <laughs> have you seen like, you know, you get a termite house and they put the whole tent over the whole thing, you know? Oh. Have you seen that? Maybe. They, they have it. They'll, they'll put this like, uh, this tent over the entire house and I think they fumigate it, whatever. Fumigate it? Is that the right word? Sounds I don't right. Know. Oh. I don't know. We should put some type of, any, any... Well, what's the Catholic tent going to be that's going <laughs> to, and who's going to come in and start cleaning house? It is, you know, what's really, what is very encouraging in this is at least having a vegano, one guy, you know, I like having one person who stands up as a kind of rallying cry. And I think for, for, you know, Catholic, uh, sorry, for American values, it's been Trump that he's been, yeah, I stand for America. I stand for the police. Even I stand for law and order. Like, I mean, uh, it's going to be interesting. We're moving into election cycle, but at least for people who want to say, I love America, at least they have a figure, which is Trump, that they can kind of just latch on to. Um, and I think there's merit just in that of having one person who stands up, even if they get canceled, even if they get lambasted, even if they get whatever else. I think it's, if they can't affect you know the whole change that they're trying to see all around the church, at least they can be a rallying cry for you know people, right? So it's it's worthwhile, even if you, it's worthwhile to stake your position prominently, even if you get destroyed, because at least some people will say, hey, at least if Trump can take him on, I can take him on. If, if Vigano can stand up to all the, the gay mafia in the church, then maybe I will in my particular way. Like, even if you're martyred is what I'm saying, I think it's still worth it rather than biding your time and saying, I'll look for a more opportune time. Oh, yeah. So I was saying, if you want orthodox, I mean, find how you can, but I'm useless in telling you how to do that right now. <laughs> Very true. Uh, maybe don't accept all the ideological positions of traditionalism. Maybe I one mean, of them. I'm Although kind of, I find I find yeah. attacking traditionalists being the most stupid thing you could do from a from a kind of Catholic Orthodox position. It's just like I don't, I don't know. It's like you're wasting your energies on the wrong on the wrong. You know, a lot of the traditionalist movement is very good intentioned, just hasty deductions in my opinion, of Novus Ordo isn't the best, therefore you must do Latin Mass. And it's just like, no, that's not a deduction. And then, okay, Vatican II did a lot of bad stuff, therefore we should reject the whole thing. And it's like, okay, it's just, it's an ecumenical council, it was all the bishops. There's just a lot of hasty deductions. I, I think, let's take let's say Bishop Barron, who had a pretty sharp video against traditionalism recent, recently in the traditionalist movement. Like, why is he focusing his efforts over there and not against people like Jimmy Martin, cancel culture, uh, the gay mafia in the church? Because he obviously, he knows some stuff about what's going on. Why why do we have this this kind of attention to attacking the, the edges, the fringes of traditionalism? Well, I mean, I couldn't tell you exactly because I'm not Bishop Robert Barron. I don't know his motives, but... You're not? What? No, I'm, I'm sorry. We need, get, I, we need I, to get him on the podcast. I know that's how right? I got in here by telling you I was, but I'm not actually him. I'm just going to come clean. Uh, John on fire. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I mean, just, you know, probably reckless speculation. He has been attacked a lot from that side, so maybe that draws his focus there to say, calm down a bit. Or what? I haven't seen the video. I don't know what he said, but... That's yeah, true. He has been they, attacked they seem, from that side. Church Milton, those guys, they seem to... They're ready to attack anything. Anything in sight, it's it's worthy of attack. If it's not uh, if it's not perfection, um, that's mm, that's why we're kind of in this. Oh, jeez, I need to stop. I'm like a broken record. Weird state. It's only weird I only, time. Weird time. Weird time. Weird time. Well, I think if we take a more historical 
approach. I think we'll see it's not as weird of a time as we think. The church has gone through these cyclical um, tough times, good times, bad times. It's always a bad time and a good time at the same time. A human history. That's kind of human history. We have our flaws in every era. A lot of it, too, is where does the blame lie? And I, I think that's kind of a... Um, that's a very negative approach on how to solve problems is who do we blame for the terrible state of the church? It's kind of like Girardian scapegoating, the theory. It is kind of... We, need to, ide- we need to identify what the problem is and kill it. <laughs> that's right. You are the problem. Get out of our community. You are the problem. You're executed. Modernists right. are the problem. Therefore, we should, you know, yeah. kick them all out of the church. It's looking for a simple scapegoat to throw everything onto and then get rid of that and everything will be hunky-dory. Right. And I... Attributed to Michelangelo, and it's very cheesy, but I like it. Criticized by creating um, that if you're frustrated with the state of your local parish, well, try and start a men's ministry, something. Do a whiskey night and read the Bible, or you know, if you you're you're frustrated with whatever else, and um, take a stand sometime, and um, you can you can affect changes positively without just blaming. The whole problem, you know, there is necessary time to address the problem because you won't find a good solution if you don't know the problem, right? Mm. If you're, you're you're working on your car and you think it's a, a you know, a, it's, you're trying to fix your AC and you're working on the the battery, it's not going to fix anything. So you need to address. Yeah, yeah I'd, you have to identify the problem to fix it. Very true, and so that's and this is where everybody disagrees: is where's the problem in all of this? It's the modernists, it's clericalism, it's this. It's it, yeah, it's, yeah, it's clericalism, it's modernizing. So we did a debate, Veritas Society, this house believes the, the crisis in the church is due to modernizing the church, right? So can we pin everything on modernizing the church? Did, did I, you agree with that uh, I was. Emotion? I think I was weren't an, there for I think it. I was in Austria when you, were you in guys Austria, did that, so I didn't, I didn't watch the recording either. So, I mean, I haven't, I, I couldn't give you a well-defined argument on this, but was the church perfect before Vatican II? Certainly not. No. <laughs> I mean, was there corruption and were there have has there th- all throughout the church's history been issues? Yes. I don't I, just my gut instinct without researching without formulating good argument would be to say we probably can't just pin this all on Mar- that's def- there's definitely abuses and stuff to come out of it, but we human nature's fallen. So, I wouldn't pin it all on just this necessarily. Do you think our just time, on instinct? Just on right. instinct. Do you think our time presents a unique challenge to the faith as opposed to other ages in the fact that we're seeing things changing so rapidly, uh, disinformation being so easily mm. propagated, education systems being so systematically uh, leftist, yeah, uh, was, propagandized? A- like the fact that we went from we went from the Pope being some no-name guy in, in Rome that people maybe knew about as a Catholic, but you didn't really hear much about, to being super powerful, to now Vatican II, you get instant information regarding the council. And then all of a sudden, you know, especially media and information. And um, do you think the modern age presents a unique challenge to the church as opposed to other ages? Well, I'd say definitely. I think if I wanted to get all... I don't know, I'm not gonna say cheesy, but like every age has its own unique problem. But there's definitely it's a unique, it's a new bad philosophy to combat. The modern technology, like you said, has changed the game a little bit. It's definitely its own thing. Yeah. I think we're also seeing like the ability to communicate information is 
uh, well, we see wh- where does our information get disseminated? Like Google, big news corporations. Um, okay, I I've known absolutely zero people who have gotten coronavirus personally. I the only information I've had about this disease either. has been external people telling me about it. I've never had any. I've never known someone who had it. Maybe it's just because of where I am, but this has affected my life, you know, immensely. And it's not not life changing, but like, you know, it's it's caused me to missing the be last half of your senior year sucks. Or last all of quarter, that was from and I can you know, I went along with it and whatever. All of this was information got at a national level and a global level. And this is just a unique time that this information can be That's what created the way this pandemic was affected by modern communication. Exactly. We knew everything so quickly. We heard about this thing when it was first breaking out in China. And what was it? Winter 2019 or whatever? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It was like into January. We we, kind of tracked it from Wuhan to around the world. Mm -hmm. That's how quickly stuff gets around. And the fact that, you know, you guys are listening to this excellent podcast over the airwaves, over your Wi-Fi or your cellular My apologies to the listeners who have lasted this long. (laughs) (laughs) None of my apologies. You guys are, you guys have great taste. I'm telling you. Um, But it's it's just i i think you're right games changed the game has changed to you know for for all of its uh flaws with vatican II documents um at least they did recognize that the modern age is something different and you know you look at Gaudium et Spes, and i have you know immense uh uh let's say dislikes for a lot of the things they 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 say in there but they make a document called the church in the modern world and and it's the, the joys and the hopes right that there's vatican II. you can see that they had a hope for what they could use with these new modern communications and i think that hope was let's, let's put it this way it was well motivated but improperly executed um there was a lot of hope that hey look there's all this good stuff you can do with all these means of communication, right? There's a document called On the Means of Social Communication in uh, in Vatican II. And they talk about, look, radio, TV, all these new things are coming out. These are ways we can use to spread the gospel. But it just seems like we've been so ridiculously slow, which is a, a characteristic of the church. And it's a good thing to be, I mean, be actually, slow to adapt. I've heard it theor- some people theorize the Ents and Lord of the Rings are inspired by the church a little bit. <laughs> really? This ancient, powerful organization that takes forever to do anything. Yeah. Takes a long yeah. time. Don't know if it's true, but it's a fun, anything. fun little metaphor type thing. Yeah, <laughs> image. I don't think that hope was misplaced. I mean, I don't know about you, but it just—that was a good hope that you could use modern means of communication to spread the gospel. Oh, that's what Bishop Barron's a lot of his ministry has been word on fire using. Uh, it's called like the new evangelization, isn't it? They're trying to reach people with this new technology. EWTN. It thing. just seems like we've totally been overwhelmed by people who now. Put it put it this way. Uh you can make a lot of money and be very powerful and very, very successful with the new means of communication. Just take like movies and Hollywood and you know, media, all sorts of stuff. They're just way better at it than we are. That, by like a bajillion. Okay. <laughs> this actually, funny enough, ties into my film minor. Cause one of the I can't remember who it was. Honestly, I can't, but one of their big things was that Catholics are not well versed in movie making and this media stuff, and Christian movies tend are tends to just be worse. They suck. We're not as good at creating the modern art. The, we're not as good with the modern media. So we need Christians to be informed in this stuff and be producing 
quality content and not just like education, quality movies with Catholic themes, you know, that sort of thing. We had like C.S. Lewis with, um, you know, with his novels, with his uh, Mere Christianity talks on the radio, radio, right? Oh, Bishop Fulton Sheen. Bishop Fulton Sheen with a TV. Yeah. These are like a few people, but we never, we never see it. It's not the, it's not the Renaissance where everywhere. Let me, let me do a, a very human concern. Would these people work as hard? Ah, this is this is a this goes back to motivation or interest to get into the because this stuff's difficult. Like really making good movies, that's freaking hard. <laughs> making good TV shows it. with good Catholic content. Are are is the church going to work as hard to 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 adapt to that? I mean, it's as not as primary. We're going to try and make Big Bank and have Rolls yeah. Royce and yachts and stuff. I mean, to be fair, Hollywood's primary goal. I mean, honestly, they're the human concerns, but as an industry, they're trying to make lucrative pictures. The yeah. church's goal should be to get souls to heaven, so they're not going to devote as much energy into making good motion pictures. But because the end of the lay Hollywood Catholics movie, could be, yeah, the end of the Hollywood movie is entertainment and money that you get off of that. The end of the church making this content is deepening your love for Christ and getting you to believe in the gospel. And, but if you go from a, from a lay perspective, if you're just a Catholic person who happens to be a filmmaker, it could be to make great art for the glory of the kingdom, to communicate or let people approach the good, the true, and the beautiful, you know. Do you work as hard, though, as somebody who wants that Rolls Royce? Depends. <laughs> how, this is my big, depends. Like, depends, okay. Which do you I value mean, more? Do you which have, do you value more, God or a Rolls Royce? It depends on that. Well, the the it's not just it's Rolls Royce versus your small contribution to what is now a very corrupt organization. <laughs> Does that make sense? Right? You're trying to save souls, I understand, but like, uh, I don't know. What's more motivating? Or do you have, do you have uh, you know, just out of the largesse of your heart, you're going to make a really killer Catholic movie that may not be that successful because you have a whole culture that goes against you versus something that's entertaining in Hollywood with your talents that will buy you a Rolls Royce eventually. And I don't know. You know what I mean? It's, it's, um, Maybe that's the reason why we're so behind, is it's very hard to get extremely motivated in that regard. Maybe maybe it's not. Maybe I just don't really have the faith of that, but it seems like cold, hard cash is a lot more motivating than my particular small contribution to media in a Catholic way. But then again, no, okay, maybe that's from my very cynical American perspective and my own faults, but... I mean, problems concupiscence again. We're getting true. around and back to Rolls that. Rolls Royce are nice, man. You money, ever been in one? I haven't. I said I've it last it. night. Money, sex, power. Big motivators. They are. You were commenting on my new shoes, which are Solomon's, but S-A-L-O-N's. <laughs> yeah. In your, yeah. Solomon. Kind of cool at the beginning, falls apart at the back half. <laughs> Those, yeah. That should be the, the shoes <laughs> tagline. Um, but yeah, no, that's the problem. Let's, let's skip to Revelation, brother. I mean, that's the problem of um, you know the the whore of Babylon that people have said is either Jerusalem or it's um, Rome. Rome, and some say I it's the Catholic it's Church. Jerusalem, and some say it's the Catholic Church. And and you know, I mean, the Catholic Church can fall into the archetype of of whoring to the nations in the sense that she doesn't um stand up for herself, oh, yeah, and her rights, and gives not, herself but... completely away, and and also you know is is riding the beast, but has the money and the glory, and yeah, like you're saying, money, sex, and power, um. That can be 
how do you get out of that cycle of tending towards that? You know what I mean? Like, how do you get out of the cycle of being the Solomon who's God's, you know, uh, the son of David, he's the chosen one. How do you stave off tending towards this cyclical falling and then coming back and falling and coming back? By your own power? I don't know. I mean, through I, grace, gra- obviously. That's like the only through grace and the, will the stock answer I could give you is grace, try to develop good virtues and pray, get the sacrament, whatever. Yeah. I mean, it's the human problem. Is it concupiscence back again to the fault? We're fallen. We have this tendency towards lower goods and to service those and it causes a lot of problems. Then this maybe goes back to, you know, the, the lay part of this is like you have Francis coming during a time of pretty, you know, heavy church corruption, whatever, and he preaches poverty and he radically changes everything. You know, he doesn't change it all at once and his, his Franciscans don't change it all at once, but the mendicants, um, you know, the friars and the Dominicans made a radical change. And, and some people have said they, they, uh, kept staved off the Protestant Reformation for like two or 300 years because mm-hmm. of their, their reforms, you know, going back to the people and, um, whatever else. So, you know, if we have people of faith who can, let's say, let's say we're in a particular time of being really in, you know, the church are very more similar to the whore of Babylon than the, the bride of Christ should be. Um, I'm not saying apostasy or anything. I'm just saying we're in a difficult time. Maybe that's the way back is you just say, I'm going to trust in grace and I'm going to be the one who trusts in grace and try and make the best that I can. That's really all you can do and try and take the cycle and get us out of that, at least for the time being and continue. Uh, well, we know the church is going to win. The church is going to survive. Yeah, that's one thing I was thinking heaven. on this way. Gates of hell will not prevail. Christ right. said it, not me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> We're going to win. That, that you know, that's probably the hope. That, not probably. That is the hope. That's what should motivate um. All right. Well, I had a side thought. Well, if the church is going to win, why not just go for the Rolls Royce instead of be the martyr? Because then you might get kicked out of the church when you die. <laughs> that might be, that might be a problem. <laughs> that might be a problem. Just because the church but, wins but look, doesn't mean you'll be part of it. But can't you do? Okay, so take the movie Silence, right? Ooh. Scorsese's film. We've both seen it. Yes. If you guys haven't seen it, it's a fantastic, fantastic movie. Um, he takes. The Rolls Royce option, the priest at the end. We're going to spoil this for you, so if you want to skip, whatever. But um, it's it's a movie you can spoil a thousand times and still enjoy it. There's movies like that. Like, Lawyer, I could tell you the end of The Lord of the Rings, and it'd still be amazing. Um, so the main priest, um, he is in Japan, and they're having the persecutions, and the people are being tortured in front of him. And all he has to do to keep his faithful from being tortured and killed is step on an image of Christ. And they tell him they just need the symbol. Even if you don't believe it inside, do the symbolic trample on the Fumi so it looks like apostasy. We don't care what your internal disposition is. But, right. Yeah. You can still believe in your heart, but trample you need to externally look- show yes. us that you don't believe. Yes. And he does. And he lives the rest of his life. Helping the Japanese government. Track down Christians. And stop Christian symbols from coming into the country and stuff like that. Now, this is like peak, you know, uh, that was situation of difficulty yes. in denying the faith is, is watching people be tortured in front of you. You're faithful. And, um, but he did the wrong thing. We know that, but so one of the things in revelation is in order to trade, you have to receive the mark of the beast. 
And so in order to operate in the system of the beast, you have to receive the mark and then in some ways assent to the, the, the system that allows you to operate within it. But you're selling your soul in the meanwhile, right? If you if you accept the mark of the beast and you accept, um, so in this way, right, um, this priest accepts the mark of externally denying Christianity, but um, and then he gets to to operate freely. He he takes a Japanese wife. He has a family. He um, you know helps the Japanese. But in the very end, this is a Scorsese touch that's yes, not it, not in Endo's book. It's not. Um, the priest when he's being buried, he's in buried Buddhist, in a, in a I believe Buddhist in a uh, Buddhist thing. style way. He's holding on to a handmade, very small, uh, woven together cross, which Scorsese touches. He still believes in in his heart. Bishop Barron actually had a fantastic video on it on um, on his analysis of silence, where he said that's not good. Even if he had, you know, you have to have the external. Um, so maybe that's the the motivation is if you're so convicted of these things, if you're convicted of the faith, to pursue the Rolls Royce in uh, contraposition to what you really should be pursuing for Christ and for the church is kind of an external um, denial of your your vocation. <laughs> Nick Larkin, Just once, again, Nick once again, cringing. I, I'm sure if he listens to this, I'm sure it'll be cringing. But your your particular vocation, that's is, okay, let's take this. I know we've gone on for a while, but um, let's take this point. Is vocation tied up with salvation? It's a scary question. <laughs> it is what okay, uh, on the fly though. But is yeah. vocation tied up with your is is fulfilling your vocation tied up with your salvation? Can you let's say distinguish those completely? Was, you, got, you got your personal vocation so, over here, and you got like your personal salvation. Let's over here. say someone like the good thief who lived a life of crime and evil and self-serving, you know, and at the end comes to accept Christ. Did he live his vocation personally? Like, say there's someone like that today, someone born maybe not in a Christian area, had a rough upbringing, fell into a gang or whatever, and like, at, they're going to be strapped to the electric chair. And when they were sitting on death row for the too long amount of time as the U.S. government kicked his date back, he, you know, started reading and he came to a, a genuine conversion and he's baptized before he goes and gets his lethal injection or whatever. Did he live his personal, was God's plan for him and the world that? I, I don't know. I honestly don't know, but if you say that no, that wasn't what would be preferable for that wasn't his preferable path. He's we could still hope he's saved. If it's a genuine conversion, you know. Right. I don't he know. wasn't living it. Now, let's say you are a Catholic, and you think you're you're going to be a Catholic movie maker, right? And you get into it, and you're just like, I don't, you know, I'm not gonna. Mm, I'm not going to pursue this Catholic. Like, it's not going to make me any money. I'm not going to get successful. I'm probably going to get lambasted, cast off into a corner. And you don't. Okay. And then you become successful in a more secular mm -hmm. field. And you don't really put Catholicism in that. You're just entertainment. Nothing per se wrong with that. No. Now, there's there's something... Not, uh, I should qualify. There's nothing per se wrong with making just entertaining yes. films. There probably is something wrong with you are convicted in your conscience that you should do this, but you don't. Mm -hmm. Now, you're not purposely choosing evil, but you're choosing something a lesser. lesser good. It's like what I've been going on about, about money a lot of the time. Going out with a night on the town on the family isn't evil, but giving it to charity is probably better. They're both goods, but one's... Or, yeah. And I use that as a metaphor for like callings. 
Just, but but let's uh, yeah. take it. Let's take the parable of the talents. Yeah. So you have the guy who gets ten, the guy who gets five, the guy who gets one. The one who gets one hides it and then claims that the master is a thief. Right. He says you you sow you you harvest where you do not sow, and you winnow where you did not uh, you know didn't grow. This isn't your stuff, right? He he says you're a thief. I knew you were a thief, and um and so I was afraid of you, and I went and I hid your talent. Here it is. Back to you. And the master says, oh, so you knew I was a thief. Mm-hmm. Well, if you knew I was a thief, you should have gotten usury or interest on my money and put it in the bank and then gave it back to me if you really thought I was a thief. But then he says, um, but you wicked and slothful servant, uh, you know, and, and then he tells him to be bound and uh, bound hand and foot and cast in the eternal yeah. darkness where there's weeping well, and gnashing well, teeth. Yeah. And then there's even a line, I think, where, <laughs> where he says, take... Take the talent of the one and give it to the one who has ten. And then there's a parentheses where it says, "Lord, he has ten. That's like one of my favorite lines in the Bible. It's like uh, up there with the cursing of the fig tree. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There's like it's like a guy in the background, like Lord, he has ten. <laughs> it's like reminding him. He's like, shut up. I give it to the guy who has ten. But then, now did let's go back to it. Did this servant do something wrong in putting away the one? Yeah. He got he got damned. Yeah. Right. I mean, I mean looking got, at it, straight down. we've kind of built opposite cases right here. So if you know, one is someone who didn't know and came to know and repented. The other is someone who did know and went against that. So, I mean, maybe we're working at something like, because the original question is salvation tied to vocation, where not necessarily, but if you have a strong inclination in your form and you think this is what I should do with my life and you reject it. I mean, maybe that's what we're getting at. Hmm. Now let's take the number one plan, and that's be fruitful and multiply versus contraception. Mm-hmm. Now I think that you know that's something where you can say sin enters. Um, if you're going to have a family and you you start out with I'm going to accept all the kids that God wants to give me, and the other one is I'll plan how many kids I have and I'll use artificial or Nation's gonna like this natural uh, family planning to, to to basically say I'll I'll determine how many kids I want to have. Um, that certainly is going against a Catholic's vocation for marriage. Now, if you if you have a vocation in marriage, then you are you are assenting to God's co-creating. Uh, relationship in your marriage, right? If God is really a part of your marriage, then you're accepting of the children that he gives you. And um that that already is And one that of isn't to say you should try to have one every 9 months, but you're not actively preventing. Right. Yes, not yes. actively preventing that that possibility. You're, you're accepting the marital act is both unitive and procreative. To yep. put it in. Yeah. As as JP2 yes. really draws out. Yes. Uh, which I haven't read a lot of his works, but I love him. I know read he. Him. I know he. What's that? I love him. Read him. Yeah, he's great. He's fantastic. Yeah, he's he's a saint. And uh, but that I think was one of those talents that you put away that could possibly be damnable. But unless you repent for it later in life or whatever, but non-repentant contraceptive family. I mean, that's mortal sin. Once again, I'm not. This is like one of those, it's such a, I mean, it's so prevalent, even in, I mean, are you, how many Catholic families don't contracept? 
is the real question. It's not how is many there a do. Survey on that, like the Pew research. I'm on sure communion? it's something like because I've heard five percent. Because I've plus. heard, I haven't looked at any specifically, but I've heard that like contraception, and abortion, and Catholicism is also prevalent, just like in the country at large. It's a real weird inversion where we we people think you know it's so much harder to have more kids today than it you know you know you have to get them Back to college. We had stuff. modern medicine. Yeah, but we now we have modern medicine. You have we have far more affluence than we've ever had in history. And yet we're more contraceptive than any age. That's an interesting uh, correlation that's been pointed out that the wealthier nations are, the smaller the family size tend to be. Mm. Global, you, global population where, control conspiracy no, coming no, inbound. No. <laughs> no, what I'm just saying is you think the more affluent you are, the more children you could afford. But from what I, again, this isn't a study I've, I've personally looked into, but I've heard of is that generally as countries get more affluent, as they get more wealthy, family size decreases. Right. Do you think there's an acceptance that the system is for those who exist and the system is for personal gain? And so the more you buy that type of society, the less children you naturally want to have. So meaning the more affluent you get, the more you're like, I want to... You have more to lose by, yeah, that, by sharing yes. it with a child. Yes. there's you, You've seen like the benefit of like living in a system where <clears throat> no. you can do whatever you want, live freely. What I would say is selfishness i mean that's i think a core human fault is we're, we tend to be selfish right. and that's the enemy of love but yeah m- maybe selfishness plays a part in it you have more to that you say what if i just held on to this it's kind of nice to live just for myself have sex it feels good buy whatever i want with all my money maybe, travel yeah you know you know if I, if I have a child that could you you hear that argument actually in like the u.s you know a child would derail my career and my lifestyle you you hear that sort of thing upsetting but. my lifestyle yeah right and the predicate of that is my lifestyle is for me you know and then and the, or the I family dynamic do, yeah. is i, I want a good career and without children it's for me i yep. want to live my life for me and you know totally selfish and misses the sacrificial nature of lo- actual like pauline willing the good of the other love and what's really funny is even not funny. Well, coincidentally, like secular, even secular people like like Jordan Peterson or something have talked about what we've created a system of delayed families and how it causes a lot of infertility and um, like people trying to have kids later in life. Yeah, like, realize they can't have kids or whatever else, and just the the links they go to to try and have kids because they've waited too long or, um, you know, the weird. Oh, I heard it the other day. Uh, this was even another secular commentator, um, uh, Tucker Carlson on Fox News. Have you seen uh, Kanye West? Uh, he did a rally in, I think it's South Carolina I or heard something. About he it. went off on abortion. abortion. Yeah. If you guys haven't seen this, I highly recommend it. Uh, you can go on YouTube and type Kanye West abortion. Um, yeah, I think we're good. Kanye West abortion. Um, he goes off on on the fact that he almost aborted his daughter. And he talks about, um, you know, his wife, Kim Kardashian, called him up and said, you know, we have this kid. And he was thinking, you know, we can't handle having another daughter at this point in time. I have my career. I have, you know, I can't be dealing with this. And he was in tears and said, I almost killed my daughter, right? And he said, um, and then they were commenting, Tucker Carlson and these other people were, you know, we had another person on, they were commenting on it and, he just said flat out, like, no one looks back on life and says, I wish I had less kids. Hopefully. 
hopefully, I mean, <laughs> but like even in the natural sense, you don't look back and say, "I wish that child wouldn't have been born once they're already born." You know, it's like that's a, that's a, yes, you're right. I mean, every hopefully, once in a while, okay, John. Hopefully. Every once in a while, you hear, go to a dark place, John. It is yeah, a dark place, but every once in a while, you hear stories about people like, "Oh, if I would have just not had these kids," you know, like really resentful people who are unhappy with their life. You hear, I've heard stories about it. It's but yeah, yeah hopefully it's rare. Let's yeah. hope that's yeah, rare. That, that's, yeah. But um. There's something even in the natural order where it's like, you don't look back. You know, there's a psalm about that. And uh, let me see, is it Psalm 27, 127, maybe? I don't know. I can't remember now. But that, um, you know, happy is the man who uh, trusts in the Lord. Uh, his sons are like um, arrows in his quiver. He shall have no cause for shame when he disputes with his foes in the gateways. And um, the traditional. You know, quiver is filled with twelve arrows. So having twelve sons, you know, <laughs> which is exactly what Israel had, right? 12 Israel tribes. had twelve tribes. He had twelve sons, and uh, he had no cause for shame disputing with his foes in the gateways. There's a that you you're fa- you are um and and Jordan Pearson talked about this with Noah that Noah it says was perfect in his generations. What that meant is he had a family that was properly ordered. Hmm. But there's something so beautiful about having your family properly ordered. And what you're doing in contraception is you're saying, I know more than God how my family is to be ordered, how many kids I'm supposed to have, how they're supposed to be, what ages they're supposed to be. And um, now I'm going to bring in Huxley as well with Brave New World. The dystopian of Huxley is a, a world in which family doesn't exist, in which family has been destroyed and fertilization all occurs in, uh, you know, in Petri dish and uh, they take sperm and they take egg and they make babies in laboratories, right? And they genetically predisposition them to be more intelligent, less intelligent, mm-hmm. have these characteristics, be this thing. It's the perfect- We're tending towards that. The perfectly that. procreative society. Or not procreative, uh, contraceptive. Perfectly so, contraceptive society. society is- it's, the, it's the end of what uh, Paul VI was talking about, really, where it's the end of removing the unitive and the procreative. Right. Or- you've mo- you've, you've- or probably more cynically pleasurable and procreative right you've you, you've taken it completely outside of family you've made it completely uh <laughs> completely just in in test tubes you know it's and back uh, to and, selfishness it's back you're removing sex from create from the procreative then within the procreative it's completely what i want right and what's desire which which is creepy eugenics nazi crap what i think a child the ideal child is and the big thing, the reason why they do it is social stability. This is the reason Huxley's whole thing is all of these things are meant for social stability and individual like fulfillment and happiness mm-hmm. because family causes so much disruption, stress, unhappiness. If your kids were just raised and they became adults, you didn't have to worry about them and they could know exactly where their social space in life is due to their genetic predisposition. They even have like a ministry of predestination where you 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 perfectly fit your genetic predispositions and your abilities and your education to this particular class, whether you're alpha plus or alpha or beta or gamma or epsilon. Um, So you've removed all instability because the family is that unit that exists outside of the, that exists wholly perfectly on its own as a unit apart from social, everything else. It can exist, you know, not just as individuals in a big social sphere, it's like the family's complete, mother, father, and child, right? But once you get rid of that, that, um, that let's say, barring of a social perfection, 
uh, because it, it's 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 at odds with just social cohesion, uh, cohesion, then you can have as much stability as you as you want because mother you know what's that you're not going to fight wars with you know nations are going to start uh, to be disrupted right it's the you've heard the john lennon uh john lennon song imagine right it's it's where he's describing his yeah i thought that that song is particularly like dystopian for like he's trying to present his utopia but i'm like what kind of world is that to live in because like obviously the no religions too sticks out but right before that nothing to live or die for as part of his utopia. So You're we're just like, a, a we're, just, we're subsisting in this kind of pleasurable meh, and then we die? What kind of life is that? That's the one that, you know, the protagonist, whose name is John, in, um, I think it's John, in Huxley's work, who's the the guy who grows up in the Indian reservation in Arizona. Um, he, he is somebody who was born of a mother, which is a big thing, you know, for Huxley's dystopia, is like, mother is one of those evil cuss words that no one says because it's so weird to be born in a womb instead of in a, in a lab. And he has a mother and, uh, he, you know, he reads Shakespeare. That's one of the cool things about it. And he goes to this dystopia where everyone's just happy and they're just taking drugs and stuff and just is so disgusted by it. He's the only civilized one in an, in an uncivilized world, which is the big, you know, flip is he's the one living on an Indian reservation and they, they think he's so uncivilized and stuff. But You've destroyed everything human once you've destroyed the family because then we're just, you know, soulless, pleasureless, uh, well, pleasure seeking. Just what are we? We're imagine. And I, and I, imagine, think I was know. talking, <laughs> I think it's after you were talking to me about Brave New World earlier. I was talking to my mom about it. And it's like, we, it, we believe humanity has an end and that's to be, you know, in communion with God at the end of life or whatever. What's the, they're probably not even thinking this way, but. That's not how we're supposed to be. It's not supposed to be just pleasure on this earth. And if you attempt to get that, I think odds are you're going to be disappointed because pleasure's fleeting. And for, I think, probably near every person on the planet, pain comes. So it's just not what we're geared towards living selfishly. It really isn't. And that's where this is just the brilliance of, well, doesn't mean brilliant, just the reality of Christianity. of. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the communal Trinitarian love that the natural order of father, father mother, and, and, and child, it just so perfectly, it, it naturally expresses the supernatural reality. And of course, with original sin, that's what that's the number one thing under attack, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's so kind of plain to see when the devil wants to destroy God's plan, God's plan for humanity always was family. Right, and it was taking the natural the family into the supernatural family, right? That even from the beginning, the attack of the evil one was to destroy that family. He attacked Eve, who you know then uh, Adam fell, and their obviously their first two children killed each other, right? Well, didn't kill each other. Cain killed Cain Abel, Abel, right? Yeah. I mean, you have husband against wife. You have you know the the. You have fratricide. Uh, you go down a few generations. You get Lamech, who uh, takes two wives, and then you have the family dynamic changing. And the, the, the Lamech says, um, "If Cain is avenged sevenfold, Lamech is seventy-sevenfold." Yeah. Right? And it's just like, which uh, the, by the way, avenged sevenfold, great name for a band. Which is <laughs> a metal cool band, band, yeah, yeah, a metal band. But um, and then you go down even further through Abraham, Ishmael, and Isaac's lines, right. and the historic fights between the Arabs and Jews. And, yes. Yeah. Um, divides among the brothers divi- divisions among brothers uh, Tower of Babel like 
if you're viewing nations as extensions of you know collections of families altogether, and and you attack the family, you're dis- you're were. dissolving everything human. You're dissolving. If you can dissolve the family, you can dissolve God's plan for humanity to take the natural family into the supernatural family. And um and that's where the devil's attacks has you know always been. There's a very great article by Dr. Jones, Dr. Andrew Jones up at um Franciscan on uh it's called po- uh, on postliberalthought.com. You guys can look it up. Uh, it's a blog that they do on abortion and that the that abortion is the sacrament of our corrupt society. It's it's a symbol that the family is at the mercy of the state. That if the state allows you to kill your child, then the state is ultimately saying that you assent to our authority over your children because you're assenting to us allowing you to kill your child. Right. And anyone who ends up surviving past abortion becomes somebody who now has rights in the eyes of the state, but um, the ones who die obviously don't. Right, and, and so you become a survivor of, you know, the family becomes subservient to the allowance to, because um, when the state allows you to purposely mess up family relations or whatever, you're you're saying the state is allowing you to to murder your child. It's like. It's a weird inverse that you're assenting to their authority by exercising your own individual right over your body, right? You're saying family structure doesn't have an inherent right of its own that can't be infringed upon, right? Hmm. I don't know if you're catching. It's kind of a weird weird way to, to formulate it's a, it. Yeah, it's an interesting approach to it. Right. If you're saying, if the state, if, if we as a society, which meaning collection of families together and then assenting to a sovereign, if the sovereign allows us to murder people within our family, then you're saying the sovereign has ultimate authority, even over the family. And the family doesn't have a unique authority of its own that can't be infringed. This is the same stuff with the homosexual stuff. It's once you're saying that's a marriage, when it's completely a-procreative, it's, it's, um, then you're saying, well, what is, does family really need to be protected? No, not really. I mean, it's just free love. It's, um, these are, you know, people find fulfillment in families or whatever. You adopt a contraceptive mentality, you adopt a, an abortive mentality, then the family loses its uh, its ascendancy in human relations. And it just becomes a an imagined type scenario or a Brave New World type scenario where we're just some big mass of, I don't know, social beings uh, going for our own individual Yeah. Fulfillment and pleasure. That's kind of where where we're at <laughs> in, in society. That and we have to go back to that has to be part of the the return is family and the Catholic Church has the the right answers with the family and you see with these conservative movements when they're trying to make family defense arguments how weak they are a lot of times it's kind of like this is just kind of best case scenario and you should do this. It's not exactly the pure natural law or any supernatural grace that can actually allow you to live that. I know I've been ranting, but last thing I'll rant on, on that regard is unless you have the supernatural grace given through the church, you really can't live the natural family perfectly. You're going to have its flaws. What everything I've been, or a lot of what I've been doing, and I think you as well lately, as it comes down to accepting grace, you have to, otherwise your family is going to, if you don't have God, you need to recognize your own insufficiency. It's like you get two fallen individuals yes. together 
tell them to be per- tell them to love each other perfectly and yeah, yeah love each other it's perfectly the, it's be the, open it's to all the it's Christianity in general yeah. you're expected to be perfect and you can't but the other side of that is there's always forgiveness so you just need to cooperate and keep striving for it and trust in God trust in God trust in grace the grace actually yes. works and yes. is operative and with that wow excellent podcast I don't even know how long we went we yeah. probably went two felt, hours felt pretty long yeah yeah we got a lot of subjects in. Dude, I am John, I'm so glad we got to do this actual in-person yes. podcast from Hopefully the Great I didn't San make too Diego. much of an ass of myself. <laughs> well, that makes two asses. Uh, I, I said uh, we went on conspiracies for a while. We went on all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I'm really glad we got to do this uh, in person as opposed to the Zoom stuff. Man, yeah. we're, we're socially distant. Don't worry. We're six feet apart. I, I, I'm touching uh, right No, now. I don't know uh, if you're... <laughs> no, we're, we're, we're far enough away. No, <laughs> If, if one of us gets COVID after this weekend, we went to the zoo. We went to San Diego Zoo, by the way. Great. Mm. Went to the beach. San Diego, we're trying to open up, all right? We're trying to open up. We're doing our best. But uh, yeah, so thanks for being a part of this podcast. Yep. Thank you all for listening to this edition of the podcast. And uh, yeah, we will see you guys again soon. Peace out.